The reading is taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. For you are trying, for you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <laughs> Love that bit. Philip. Can I pray for you before you bring God's word? Please. Father God, we, we give thanks for Philip and the word he is bringing to us here today. May your spirit move amongst each one of us as we listen to the message that he is bringing us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Great. So yeah, the word I'm going to bring to you, I'm calling freedom or futility. Right? Freedom or futility. A choice. And yeah, the first line of the text that Tracy just read to us is perhaps the most important, and it kind of sums up the message. Let me just repeat. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What do you think of when you consider freedom? Well, I'm just going to let you listen to the start of a song from a well-known Christian musician that well described my feelings of freedom back in the summer of 1972 when I was 15.
Anyone remember this? Okay. <laughs> we'll hear more from Alice later. <laughs> that was such a great feeling, singing that song with my friends. School's out! Freedom! O-level's done. So yeah, how to use the freedom? I'll tell you what I did. I went on a, spent most of the summer spending or misspending my time traveling on trains around the country. I even spent a week on my own with freedom in Scotland. A ticket that allows you to go anywhere you like in Scotland. Patrick's not here today, but I'm sure he'll catch up online. I went to the extremes of the network. I went to Malaig, I went to Kyle of Lochalsh, I went to Wick, but I also went to the less salubrious parts of Glasgow, like Eastfields, because I wanted to go to the diesel depot and write down all the numbers. I was really scared in Glasgow from stories of young people getting knifed or slashed with razors, but since I was out at 7 a.m., I think the razor guys were probably in bed. <laughs> anyway, to finish the summer, I got very ill on sherry. I'm not quite sure why it was sherry to celebrate my O-level results, much to my brother's amusement when I said, I'm not really drunk, you know. Anyway, there we go. Thinkers consider there are two types of freedom, negative freedom and positive freedom. Negative freedom is freedom from constraint. It comes from outside. So in my case, it was the freedom not to go to school. Or to quote another luminary, you've got to guess this one, no rules for me, no right, no wrong, I'm free. Anyone know this? It's Princess Elsa from Frozen. I'm sure your kids would have known it. What about positive freedom? That comes from our own internal choices. It's freedom to as opposed to freedom from. So yeah, what to do with freedom? I chose last in uh, 1972 to freely travel, note train numbers, take photos, meet people, and drink sherry. But is this the freedom that Jesus wants us to have? Well, to answer that question, we have to start with why humanity might not be free. We were free originally, of course, in Eden. Adam and Eve were free in God's loving presence, worshipping, doing his will, worshipping him and doing his will taking care of the garden, naming the animals, 
loving God and loving one another, having security, significance, and acceptance, the three things that humans really like to have. But then there came the fall. Adam and Eve disobeyed the only restriction that God put on them, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, Princess Elsa would have liked it, right and wrong. Humanity gave up its authority over the earth to Satan, who deceived them. They became enslaved to sin and resultant guilt. And being separated from God, they became selfish, self-regarding, as you can read, full of mistrust for one another, vulnerable to making God's good gifts into idols. And that's where we all are now, friends. Without Jesus, we are enslaved. But Jesus came to free us from that slavery. He gave to give us back the freedom. John 8, 36, he said, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So yeah, let's reconsider our two types of freedom in light of today's passage. Jesus gave us negative freedom. On the one hand, he gave us freedom from guilt by his blood. In the Amplified Version, justification, what it's called, is defined as being declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty and placed in right standing with God. That's an amazing freedom already that Jesus is giving us. We're free of guilt. But Jesus also sets us positively free to care for one another and to worship God. Paul puts it like this, as followers of Jesus, our objective becomes faith expressing itself through love, as Tracy told us. And that's only possible with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us who enables us to become more like Jesus. That's the process which is called sanctification, continues throughout our life. Without faith in Jesus and without the Holy Spirit's presence, our selfishness and our insecurity would make it hard to us to truly love because love is joyful self-giving. Many of you will know I have caring responsibilities and you know and I know that I wouldn't have the peace and joy I have in fulfilling them without God's presence. And note that faith alone needs to be expressed in loving action like that in order to be proven. What do you like if you've just got faith? Well, James sums it up. He said, you believe there's one God? That's great. The demons believe that, and they shudder. Faith alone is not enough. We need to have luck to show it by love. So how do we become free? Well, we accept by faith Christ's sacrifice on the cross, where he gave his sinless life. He died so that we could be set free from guilt and sin and death that is the wages of sin. We must repent of what we have done wrong and accept Jesus as not just our Savior, but also our Lord, whose commands we seek to obey. And the freedom we gain is not just for this life, but for eternity. Paul mentions in the text today, through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. He's talking there about judgment day, when we will all face a holy God and find out and uh, know what, is, what we've done and what, what, what our future is. And the freedom in Christ frees us from any guilt on that judgment day. We're counted as innocent. 
before a holy God despite our sins because Jesus took away that burden from us, the slavery. So that's the positive message, friends, of our passage today, the call for freedom in Christ, an abundant life here on earth and a blessed eternity through God's grace. Freedom from slavery to guilt and sin and addiction and selfishness. It's a freedom it took me 25 years to attain after my train and sherry-filled summer of 1972 with Alice's anthem ringing in my ears. And that freedom, friends, is a freedom which is based on relationship with the Lord and not religion. Relationship and not religion. Whenever someone talks to me about Christianity as a religion and it sets my teeth on edge, I'm reminded that Jesus wasn't religious. It was the religious people who killed him. Amen? The call to intimate relationship with God, adoption as his children, Paul makes clear in Galatians and many other places. In Christ Jesus, he writes, you are all children of God through faith. Alice Cooper, yes, him again, sums this up well. He said, people have a very warped view of Christianity. They think it's all very precise and we never do wrong and we're praying all day and we're right wing. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with a one-to-one -one relationship with Jesus Christ. I couldn't put it better myself. Which brings us to the counterpoint of freedom in Christ, what I'm calling the risk of futility. The risk of futility. This is one for John. As a financial economist, I'm familiar with a lot of risks that banks take. For example, credit risk, liquidity risk, market risk, interest rate risk, systemic risk. This risk is much more important. It's personal. Futility risk. Futility risk. Right, what's futility? The dictionary defines futility as the fact of having no effect or achieving nothing. The fact of having no effect or achieving nothing. And for Christians in Paul's day, it was the temptation to follow the rules and seek to be justified before God through obeying them. God, I'm fine. I've obeyed the rules. I had the operation. This is religion and not relationships with God. It's seeking a self-made way to God. And as we hear for the Galatians, it was starting off by following the Jewish rule of circumcision. But it's much more general than that. It's to do with just thinking you can justify yourself to God by doing what you think is good. Paul says, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he is obligated to obey the whole law of Moses, that is. And no one was ever able to completely avoid sin. None of us can avoid sin and obey the law except Jesus himself. Trying to do so leads to a futile life of slavery, to guilt, to every transgression that we do. Remember, it's to do with thoughts, not just actions, that is wrong. So yeah, Paul really goes to town in emphasizing the negative consequences of following rules for a Christian life. He says, if you set yourself be circumcised, Christ will be no value to you at all. So the freedom on offer is not available. 
It's written, you will lack the faith in Christ that is necessary for salvation. You're just trusting in yourself. Second, you're alienated from Christ and fallen from grace. The Amplified Version puts it well. It says, you have lost your grasp on God's unmerited favor and blessing. Third, you're driven out of the race, which symbolizes the Christian life. Who's watching the speed skating at the Winter Olympics? Come on. Yes? And do you see what happens in the speed skating? They're charging along and someone suddenly crashes into the barrier. Maybe not quite as elbowy as that, but something untoward happens and someone suddenly crashes, don't they? That's what happens when the, to the Christian life when we just make it a system of rules. Fifth, fourth, you are thrown into confusion. Maybe you're not sure of your salvation anymore. And finally, if you are risking to miss out on the message of the cross, the message puts it like this. If Paul was to preach the law as essential, no one would be offended if I mentioned the cross now and then. It would be so watered down, it wouldn't matter one way or another. So yeah, these are serious charges. These are, by following the law of Moses, it said, or any other system of rules, the Christian life is derailed. Derailed, remember? Railway nut. And the freedom Christ offers is lost. You risk being burdened again by the yoke of slavery or proudly, or, or saying to your, or, uh, wait a minute. Got a page out of place there. You risk being burdened again by the risk of slavery. Or as the message puts it, the slave life of the law. I nearly did a Boris Johnson there, didn't I? <laughs> Living a life of futility. For in the end, the law only points out the hopelessness of our situation as sinners and points us to Christ, the only solution for our sin. I won't mention Peppa Pig. And yet, I think the trap is a more general one than just following the law of Moses. How about the trap that says, I'm a good person, God will accept me. I don't need to believe in Jesus. Thinking our deeds will impress God and outweigh any bad things we've done. That's another version of the same thing. Or could be the problem of addiction that can destroy our life, even if we have Christian foundations. I'm going to return to Alice Cooper again. He said recently, my wife and I are both Christian. My father was a pastor. My grandfather was an evangelist. I grew up in the church, went as far away from it as I could. I almost died, and then I came back to the church. His problem was addiction to alcohol. He was clean for a few years, I think from 78 to 83 or so, and then he fell back in the early 80s after one sip of his wife's wine. He decided it was time to change his rock star lifestyle when he found himself throwing up blood and his wife asked for a divorce. But here God took her hand. I never went to Alcoholics Anonymous, he said. Everyone said, oh, you have such great willpower. I said, no, God has great willpower. He took it from me. He was completely dry, and his wife and children came back to him. Besides seeing how Alice gained his freedom from slavery, in this case to alcohol, look how one sip of wine led him astray. And that reminds us of what Paul said in this passage. A little yeast, he said, works through a whole batch of dough. Just a little starting point can lead to a big problem. One illustration of that is if the... Uh, compass on an aircraft is 
only a tiny amount out when you leave London, you might end up in Atlanta rather than New York. Paul, in criticizing the false teachers who led people in Galatia astray, is criticizing them, but I think underlying them, as Daph said in the prayers, is the influence of Satan. The devil plants lies through what people say, or in our minds, as in the case of Alice, alcohol's going to make you feel good. But it's our choice whether to listen to those lies or not. It's up to us to follow rules, false ways, addictions. It's up to us whether to follow the human temptation to just say, proudly say, I did it my way, rather than humbly obeying the truth that only through Christ can we be saved. So yeah, what would be the outcome of futility rather than freedom? In the case of the Christians in Galatia, Paul seems sure that they will return to faith. He does say that in the passage. But even if that's the case, we risk wasting a life that could have been done when, when we could have done good deeds and sown seeds of love. Paul talks of our life and ministry in 1 Corinthians as being like the work of a builder that's tested by fire. If due to futility in our Christian life, we do, uh, what we do is pretty ineffective, Paul says this, if it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss. They will be sa- yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. That's not a very desirable outcome, is it? Even if we are still saved. We can do better th- with freedom in Christ. Alice Cooper, for instance, has taken advantage of his freedom since he was healed of addiction. He's a member of the Evangelical Covenant Church, and there he runs what's called the Solid Rock Foundation, a faith-based foundation that encourages youth to pursue creative journeys in music and stay away from drugs and alcohol abuse. But this is a great quote. Alice is also realistic that the Christian life is not easy. He said this, Drinking beer is easy. Trashing your hotel room is easy. But being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's real rebellion. Let's be sure, though, to follow his good example. Besides Paul's image of the fire, we can also cite the contrasting examples of Peter and Judas. Remember, they both failed Jesus badly. But I think they exemplify a message of 2 Corinthians 7.10 where Paul says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. After betraying Jesus, Judas was unable to access God's grace, unlike Peter. Arguably, he was too bound up with the law. And the authorities gave him no help. He sought to repent, but they said, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. And then he went away and sadly committed suicide. Whereas in contrast, we know from the end of John's gospel that Peter was forgiven by Jesus' grace despite the fact he denied knowing Jesus in his hour of need. Peter indeed was commissioned to be a leader of the apostles. So I think that's a cautionary comparison as we reflect on the passage. To stick with the freedom that Christ has won for us as Peter did and not live a life of futility as proved to be the case for Judas. So before I close, I want to speak to anyone who's not a Christian today, in here or online. And I want to just urge you to take hold of the freedom that Christ is offering. 
The life without him indeed risks to be a kind of futility. What are the other options? Well, one is to choose a faith other than Christianity. But such religions are usually man-made, ways to God, based on rules, not founded on relationship. Listen rather to Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Another option is to lead a completely worldly, atheistic life. And the world says, you can achieve what Adam and Eve lost without freedom in Christ. You can achieve significance by your performance and your accomplishments. You can get security by your status and your recognition. You can obtain acceptance by your appearance and others' admiration. But I assure you that none of these stand up when times of difficulty arise. None of these can free us from slavery. I know that from my own experience before I became a Christian. So yeah, I just urge you to accept the gift of grace, the freedom that Christ alone can offer. Choose a loving relationship with him and not a futile life of living for rules or for the world. Listen to these words Jesus spoke. He said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Christ is knocking at the door of your heart, offering you the freedom that only he can give. But it is up to you to open the door. He will never force his way in. So to close, I'm going to read a prayer of commitment that I encourage you to speak for yourself out loud or in your heart if you wish to do so. All you need to start a new life, to open the door of your heart, to grasp the freedom that Jesus offered and avoid futility is to pray this simple prayer. I'm going to read it out straight first because you've got to know what you're saying. And then I'm going to read it slowly. That's okay, guys. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I have sinned and done things that have hurt you. I'm willing to turn away from what is wrong in my life. I want to go where you lead in the future. Thank you for dying on the cross so I might be forgiven and that you rose again and promise eternal life for those who trust in you. Come into my life this day. Come in as my Savior and Lord. Come in to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to repeat it slowly for you to say it in your heart if you wish to do so. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I have sinned and done things that have hurt you. I am willing to turn away from what is wrong in my life. I want to go where you lead in the future. Thank you for dying on the cross so that I might be forgiven and that you rose again and promised eternal life to those who trust in you. Come into my life this day. Come in as my Savior and Lord. Come in to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.